We'll get going. Okay, hi everyone. Uh, I'm so excited to do this event with uh, a good friend of mine, Sarah Danza Jones. Sarah and I, I'm trying to think when we met. Um, it was maybe like 2014, back then, 2013, 2014. Oh yeah, this is this will take you way back because this back when you launched your startup with its first name, RGSAT. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that would have been 2014. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we've we've just become such great friends, and so I feel like this is just really a conversation with a friend. But we're talking about a really important topic about virtue signaling and what that means. And um, you know, companies will people can accuse people of virtue signaling. Is that an insult? Is that you know? And so we'll kind of get into the nitty-gritty of all of that um, but we'd also like to thank uh, Intrata for being our a title sponsor for our Tech for Good series that we do every month um, and this is recorded and we will share this out with the community after we get going um, but yeah let's let's just kick this off Sarah why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and you know maybe the work that you've done in the in the Utah community. Great. Thanks, Sunny. Um, it is fun to be on the series. And um, I, I just love the conversation that Utah Tech Leads is driving in our community. It's really important for obviously the economic welfare of our of our state, right? We have always prided ourselves as the state of being one of the most friendly for business, one of the most competitive. And of course, you and I know from our you know, decades of work in the ecosystem here that um, we all, all stand to benefit and gain value if we can really truly understand the, the business benefit, benefits, but actually live it out, right? So I'm actually excited about this topic today because I think you know, you and I have seen these interesting evolutions across the history of our business ecosystem, right? Um, yep. I, you know, you and I met because of Women Tech Council. And, yep. you know, that was something that was started in 2007, which feels like ages now, way before, you know, women's groups are really popular. Um, and so, you know, we've been really early on in, you know, these types of conversations and the impacts, the, the, the actual real impacts in our businesses and being able to recruit um, you know, find great talent uh, and be able to thrive and, and get the most innovative solutions that we can then, you know, literally sell to the whole world. Um, and so there's a very real, uh, I think, evolution that's happened. And I, it's exciting for us to see. But mm -hmm. but I, I think, you know, this common theme of, you know, virtual virtue signaling. Okay, let's signaling. <laughs> try this one again. <laughs> virtue signaling is you know it is the modern term for something that we've always you know been worried about which mm -hmm. is do leaders truly authentically believe in the value of diversity equity inclusion so that's just the term that you know be back in the day we used to call it you know uh talking the talk but not walking the walk Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's kind of a, it's a more modern phrase that's being applied to that type of behavior where it's perceived as something that is, is made to make someone look good, but not truly uh, an internally driven, committed, um, you know, value-centered behavior. So we can talk more about what that looks like, but um, I'm excited to have this conversation and really kind of get at the core of, of what might be holding us back. And if we can really understand this piece, you know, maybe it's possible to really move forward faster. 
Absolutely. I mean, we you, we talked about, you know, Women Tech Council starting in 2007. I remember my career in 2007. It's 2022 now, how much things have changed in companies. And, and uh, you know, not all companies are the same, in, you know, in terms of change. But um, the, the fact that we are even talking, like DE&I didn't really exist as a co- like a core corporate concept back in 2007. Um, and, and I remember I heard, the first time I heard, it, back then it was D, D&I, like someone had to explain it to me because I had never even heard it like as an acronym. Um, and so when, you know, I think that there are a lot of companies who want to, you know, thinking about, um, you know, the corporate evolution of DEI, and a lot of companies would like to support, you know, this, but they're afraid of virtue signaling or the perception of virtue signaling, or they're afraid of alienating a portion of the cor- their company. You know, let's say they're, you know, 90% uh, male and white, like the Utah State Legislature, and then they say, hey, we have a DEI initiative, and, you know, 90% of that, that group says, what does that mean for me? Um, how do you recommend people ease into this or do they need to ease into it? Well, um, might be good if we step back just a little bit and just kind of describe contextually what's happened a little bit. Um, you know, I think with the, with the pandemic, the economy uh, being very uncertain and then uh, uncertain, and then you have uh, social injustice, the murder of George Floyd, you have, uh, you know, COVID and, and disparate impacts. Uh, and and now you know we seem to be coming out of it, but it's it's sort of this never ending you know uh, <laughs> um, you know never ending challenges that businesses are facing. Um, and so I think if I'm you know putting myself in executive shoes, you know there's a bit of empathy because both you and I have been executives. We've run companies, and uh, we can certainly empathize with how challenging these past few mm-hmm. years have been. So let's you know just make sure that we we understand contextually that it hasn't been easy for any leaders. And then on top of that, what has happened is the expectations of diversity, equity, inclusion have actually dramatically shifted. So before, when we used to say diversity and inclusion, it used to just mean diversify. That's all it meant. And, um, you know, I graduated in law school in 2001. It was still very much a concept of diversifying where you could actually look up the law firms and you could see their diversity data. So that's kind of stuff has been tracked for decades and decades, you know, uh, you know, driven a lot by affirmative action. Um, But what's happened recently is, you know, that the days when you could just say, hey, we got to leave these type of topics outside of the workplace. Those are pretty much over. And I know Mm -hmm. many leaders wish they were back, but they're not because you know, not on top of social justice issues now that are, and politics, you also have mental health. And you've got all of these things now that really are the reality of what it means to be a human living in all of these circumstances we've been having to live through. And that's coming into the corporate space in a way that leaders, you know, really haven't been prepared for. And so, you know, I think one of the important things when we talk about virtue signaling, I really believe it's come from this merger of social justice and DE&I. And mm-hmm. I want to be really clear, social justice is very different from corporate diversity, equity, inclusion. And oftentimes we think they're the same thing. And so when mm-hmm. you have employees who really value social justice, 
which is important. I'm not saying it's not important. Right. Uh, it sometimes does not align or it clashes with the ideas that executives have of what diversity, equity, inclusion means in the workplace. So fundamentally, there needs to be an alignment of, well, what do you mean when you say I'm virtual, virtue signaling, what do you mean by that? Right. Mm-hmm. Because an executive might be doing corporate DE&I, but they might not be doing you know, social justice as it exists in sort of the, the, the community space. And mm-hmm. then you start to see where the, where the gaps start to happen, the gaps in understanding. And you've got leaders that, that think one thing and, and employees that think another sure. thing, right? So that's, I think, one of the biggest fears that's happening right now is um, I think a lot of employees want to see more social justice happening in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them don't have corporate experience in DE and in diversity, equity, inclusion um, from a kind of from, from a business strategy perspective. Okay. Right. So, so when we say virtue signaling, um, it kind of comes with this kind of sort of, you know, it, it, it puts a lot of people on the defensive yeah. because they're like, oh, um, and one thing I work with a lot with leaders is you know, the fact is, is you start a business, like you started art, you know, because learning, Yeah. you didn't, you didn't create your business to be a social justice organization. And most of us in corporate actually are not equipped. That's a whole different set of practices, processes, uh, expertise. Yeah. And what's happening is we're kind of merging the two and we're expecting companies to become social justice organizations when they're actually Mm -hmm. not equipped to do that. Hmm. And so I think First and foremost, it's getting clear on, well, what do you mean by when we say virtue signaling? And we, we got to kind of separate separate out those practices and contextually where the confusion is happening within organizations. Um, I'm going to stop there because I just Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. A lot. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting how you separate that social justice um, and, and you know, DE&I as two very different things because there, we've seen, you know, obviously like examples of, let's say, you know, one example I saw was a company wanting to celebrate Juneteenth and they served fried chicken and watermelon um, and, you know, the backlash that they feel and, the, you know, that they were, you know, this is not really, you know, they, they were trying, but, you know, didn't land well. And so I think there is this fear of what is the right thing to do. But I think that you make such a good point of separating those two. Um and I guess, you know, companies, if they want to become social justice warriors, you know, you have B corporations and things like that, then that's fine. But you're saying if it doesn't align with their, you know, maybe a business mission goals, then, then, you know, uh, maybe separate it. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Well, I, I think there's a lot of ways to combine the two, but if people fundamentally, if, if people fundamentally don't know the difference between the two, then you're sort of, sort of starting from a, a place of frustration rather than uh, bringing everyone together and saying, okay, hey, this is, you know, this is going to take a journey, right? Because the reason why that, that backlash happens is there's the foundation of really understanding and how to understand, understand how to have the most meaningful way of, let's yeah. say, celebrating Juneteenth um, it should happen, right? Right. Uh, it, it, and, you know, let's be clear, most of this comes with good intent. So 
I haven't met a leader yet that really is a bad human. Everybody's trying, right? And so there's a lot of good intent behind this. And that's, I think, what's really tough about these difficult concepts is because people are trying and, you know, that space to help them learn, oh, there there may have been a more meaningful way to approach this, Um, you know, and it's hard to be a leader because people are losing some patience. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to go online and blast a company, whether Mm -hmm. you're a customer or an employee and just point out the flaw, you know, um, people don't understand maybe there's, uh, you know, well-meaning behind it, you know, or maybe it's the context isn't all there. So, you know, and then people pile on. So, I mean, that is the world we live in. Um, so let's talk about, you know, at what level, you know, if you're really on a mission to support DEI work, where does that change? Is it a bottom-up approach? Is it kind of a company-wide thing? You're like, how? What are your recommendations there? Uh, well, you know, I, you know, the phrase: if if you want to make change, but you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, maybe stop doing that. Right. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> we've been doing bottom up for ages, right? Decades. And it just really hasn't created the, the right change. There's many, many reasons for that. We can dive into those if you want. But I think now, you know, even if leaders don't know all the answers, it's really up to them to really lead. And I don't say lead in the sense that executives are the automatic experts in DE&I. Um, what I mean is that the leaders get to set you know, that cultural expectation that yeah. we're all going to learn together. Like, hey, yeah. guess what? I don't know this. You don't know this. We, we all, we're all learning. So let's all learn mm-hmm. it together. That's where you start to build the confidence and the trust in a leadership team that's really showing that intent to learn and understand um, and really, really get deeper into how does this impact the, how do I create business alignment around this, right? Mm-hmm. Because most leaders are coming from a world where, uh, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion was the thing that passionate employees did, the thing that not everybody needed to care about. And, you know, oftentimes it was done for free, right? Mm-hmm. It was unpaid labor in a company, Um but it was good, right? It, 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 it's that thing that gives you that immediate emotional lift, a quick marketing lift, and people actually think it's best practices. And um, what leaders are learning is they're actually having to relearn a new set of best practices. So the way I like to explain it is, you know, sure, it's best practices, you know, all the stuff that we've been doing pre-pandemic with but that that was best practices when you couldn't get a full executive team fully on board and mm-hmm. aligned and engaged so when you're able to do that your set of best practices now opens up and you have a whole new set of things that you can do uh experiences that you can do in your organization that frankly we're still creating because right. you know this idea of all the leaders being part of this experience this you know learning journey together really doesn't happen a lot. Um, And so it's not like, you know, it's not like anyone knows exactly the right thing. And the coolest thing I found actually in doing this with with organizations that want to go down this road is 
their set of experience get to be really like authentic to their organization and their culture. So, you know, before we used to say, okay, do this, do this, do this, you know, that's what people say is, I don't want to check the box. I don't want to, you know, and leaders say that to me all the time. I say, what is it that you want most Uh, out of uh diversity, equity, inclusion? I would say most of them say, I want to be authentic and I don't want to check the box. In other words, I don't want to virtue signal. Right, right. Interesting. So they're recognizing that that box checking will come across as virtue signaling. And so they really want that authenticity. Um, So is that the CEO? Is that the human resource? Like, is there a, a role that you think on the leadership team that needs to drive this? Yeah, I think it definitely needs to be driven by the CEO, uh, mm-hmm. but but bringing in any key stakeholders that drive culture, board, executive mm-hmm. team members, right? So if it's running purely out of the HR team, you're probably not doing it as effectively as you mm-hmm. could be, um, because I think, you know, first and foremost, you're missing a lot of the, the business strategy value if mm-hmm. you think it's just about HR and just about employees, you right. know? Um, but the, the value is starting to see that, oh, it actually like influences the way we think about products, sales, revenue, innovation, like all of these business critical, valuable aspects. And so oftentimes those things are missed when it's done kind of that more traditional way. Right. Right. Um, but it's cool to see that like the light bulb go on when leaders are like, oh my gosh, this is actually part of our mission. And you're right. like, yes, <laughs> the, the actual <laughs> business mission, right? And yeah. that's super exciting when that light bulb go, goes on and they start to see like, DE&I isn't this thing you don't do on top of your day job, right? That's why yeah. executives are so exhausted because the old way we used to do it is like, oh, and now we got to do DE&I and I'm just so yeah. busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. Well, you're probably doing it wrong then, right? Because it should come in and just influence those daily decisions you're making as a business leader and actually help you do your job better, right? Um, And so if that's kind of like the thinking that's that's happening in the organization, that's where you start to get that disconnect and and the lack Mm -hmm. of authenticity. Um, And then I would say you start to get more of like the reactive, like, well, let's just do this you know, mm-hmm. and it's done to kind of keep employees happy and employees know that, right? They they right. know when it feels like it's just being done to placate them or customers or, um, you know, even community, right? Yeah. And um, I would say probably the biggest signal for leaders, if you're wondering, gosh, is that thing that we're doing virtue signaling, maybe the biggest thing to ask yourself is, does it really encourage and create behavioral change within the organization? If there's no like intentional behavior change that's expected, mm-hmm. then we're probably, it's probably not as meaningful as it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, you talked about mission a little bit. 
And I think uh-huh. companies, uh, you know, I have been in many, many a meeting where, you know, groups or companies have said, we need to have a mission statement, you know, and they create this mission statement and it's going to be the thing that drives the company and they, you know, put it in vinyl lettering on the, on the walls and it's on the website. Um, and a lot of times, you know, there is this incorporation of DE&I, um, but then I think I hear, you know, I definitely do hear from employees, they'll say, well, they say that, but they're actually just doing it to recruit more diverse talent and to virtue signal to potential candidates and recruits that, um, you know, uh, that, you know, they can be welcome here, but they don't really, that's not maybe what the employees experience, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because like, sometimes there is this, like, put up an intention and let's work towards it. And maybe that's the mission statement because it doesn't mean that you have to like have achieved it, but yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts on these things. Well, most organizations, they have mission statements, they have values and they have leadership behaviors. And if those are not connected and then aligned and taught as core leadership behaviors, then yeah, it's just a mission statement, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it, it, again, that expectation that it's actually going to influence how we interact with each other, our customers, the community. Um, this is what you should expect from us because these are our core values. What's actually really fun is if you can align all of that so that, it, you know, I I love when you don't even have to say the word diversity, equity, and inclusion in your values or your leadership behaviors. You you describe it, right? So so inclusion, what does that mean to you, right? And you mm-hmm. you are you're actually able to illustrate that. And what does that start to look like within the organization? And then you're training to that and you're holding each other accountable to that. So that's again where you have the authenticity gap, right? You've got a mission statement. There's a lack of alignment. People come into the company. They're like, yeah, but your culture is not what your mission statement said. Right, right. Right. And that's where you get the revolving door. You might get people in, but you also push them out. Right. Um, and so that's just a consistent, I think, challenge of leadership always is to really make your your, your internal culture mm-hmm. aligned with what you put out there externally. And right. diversity equity inclusion is maybe one of the hardest areas to do that with. Right. It is for sure challenging. Right. I, I think, you know, we, I definitely saw a shift um, and I don't remember exactly what year, but it was when I was raising capital. Um, and so I'd spent a lot of time on like VC websites. And then there was this like movement to show that you had a diverse team, which typically meant that they had a female who was an EA um, or an office manager. And, you know, all of a sudden, like her picture was put on to show that. And to me, that was very much a a virtue signaling. Uh, And then you had other uh, organizations. um, And one of one of the most favorite VCs that I, I got to meet with was Kapoor Capital. Um, and it started by uh, Mitch and Frida Kapoor. And what was uh, really fascinating is that back in, oh, I guess it must have been like 2015, um, any company that they invested in had to have some sort of DEI statement. Um, and, or how that they were going to achieve that. And they didn't tell them how to do it, but that was going to be a criteria if you took their money. And, um, 
you know, it was so different, you know, because they naturally had a diverse uh, partner team. They naturally had diverse founders they were investing. Um, so I really enjoyed like that kind of, um, I, I felt it was authentic versus just, yeah. you know, I'm going to slap someone's picture up on there. Um, so yeah, I think that that is, that is really true. Um, what you, I mean, I know that you've been doing this work for a long time. I know that particularly after 2020 um, and what happened with George Floyd, that it got really busy for you. You had a lot of companies that were saying, uh-oh, we need to be paying attention to this. But I'm sure that came with a lot of challenges. I mean, it's great for business, right? Mm -hmm. And it's great to see this happening in our community. But what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen as you've been working on Inclusion Pro? Gosh, I would say, um, well, what's kind of been interesting, so that was what, uh, almost three years ago, and it's been interesting to see the evolution. So, right, as just, just from a sheer marketing perspective, like what is it that people are coming in wanting and requesting? Uh, and so it's been really interesting to see. Uh, I, I do think that there's a, a shift and deepening of understanding of what companies need to be doing, right? Because that first year was training, 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 implicit bias training. And, you know, I'll, I'll just be, be candid. I wouldn't start with implicit bias training. Like, I mm. think it is a very reactive uh, approach. Um, and I think, anyway, uh, there, there's a lot of foundation that needs to be laid to, to make implicit bias training really effective within an organization, right? So it's interesting that that was like the first thing that people, but again, we don't, they didn't know what they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so when I get a chance to kind of walk people through and explain, you know, what's what's the right foundation to be laid, it's it, it's actually really fun because, you know, I've, I've played this, uh, I guess, maybe educational um, mentor role for a lot of organizations. And then they're like, oh, uh, but but the biggest challenge, honestly, is that uh, usually it's someone from the DEI committee uh, approaching me or someone from the HR team. And mm -hmm. that always signals to me this interesting, like, oh, interesting. I wonder why, you know, I wonder what's going on in their organization, why it's coming from this approach. Why have they been tasked? Mm -hmm. um, because the type of work that I do is really around organizational transformation, a very much a strategy, an executive level strategy. Mm -hmm. um, but like one of the most, just I'll just give you an anecdote. One of the most successful companies I've worked with and one of the funnest is PackSize. And their first approach to me was, many members of their executive team and other stakeholders in the organization. So the first meeting I had with them, there was like six people on the call and it wasn't just coming from like this mid-level grassroots, it was the founder, the CFO, the, you know, and yeah. I just thought, well, this is really different. And, and it's exciting because I was like, oh, okay, they really want to see some transformational shifts in their organization. Um, and so that that's been, I think, a really fun experience. So, so it, you know, it's it's even interesting in the way folks approach me that I can somewhat tell kind of what stage of the journey they're oh, at. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Like that, I'm not sitting here judging or saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's it's pretty normal and common. Uh, but to be able to see companies grow and evolve and say, okay, you know, I'm co now collaborating to say, okay, now how do we, you know, now take the DEI strategy and really lift it off of the HR executive's plate and really distribute that work across all leadership. Mm -hmm. That's a really fun transformational moment when the leaders are like, oh, I like, I get it now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it really is. It is, it is really not HR, right? It is really not 
uh, you know, kind of that, which people, folks think is a very traditional approach to diversity, equity, inclusion. So um, it's fun to see that evolution and journey for organizations. I do wanna to say too, that that was obviously uh, people who are in crisis, uh, very reactive, and we have a recession coming up. And what's going to be very interesting um, in this topic of virtue signaling right. is who drops off in their DEI work and who stays the course. Now, ironically, a recession is actually a really great time to double down and really build the right foundation mm. because you're not in hyper growth. You're not high, right? All those excuses you make to, to right. not do DEI work, right? Because the, the, the type of transformational work I do that really gets right into, right, the, the business strategy, it is a lot of work, right? It, it requires sort of the intention and investment of a lot of leaders and when you're in hyper growth, that's really, really hard to do. So I want to encourage folks to rethink if you're looking at this recession and thinking like, okay, cutting all those discretionary expenses, yeah. which I, which are important. I understand that from a business perspective. Um, just, just be cautious about being too quick to cut on your DEI spend or consider, you know, using it, you know, for other things because you have this time, you have this period to kind of reset and realign mm -hmm. some things in your organization. So that that's what I will offer. There's been there was a few before the pandemic, right? Whenever you saw the economy yeah. like just yep. coming to standstill, I had clients still stay the course, and they use that time very wisely to lay foundation. Interesting. Yeah, it's almost like when you talk about well, what you're saying is like when you make it a part of your business strategy, it is just as important, you know, when you're when you're doing the, you know, maybe evaluating your team or, you know, uh, evaluating your business uh, go to market strategy, all of that kind of stuff and keeping DE&I as as core uh, as any of yeah. those other things. Um, I think that is so key. And, you know, and we've seen when people do the work, the benefits that come from, you know, being able to recruit better talent, to retain talent, you know, and, and also, you know, reach maybe a customer base that you weren't able to reach or better talk to the market in a way that you haven't been able to. So I, I actually really love that you suggested that they stay the course and, and, and even use this time to do that. Um, yeah. So, you know, there, we, we both know that, that there's this whole like, tech bro, uh, you know, and tech is, can be very male and very, uh, white and, you know, um, and, but, you know, I, I know you and I have interact, we have a lot of friends and CEOs and, and leaders in this community where I don't feel like it's, you know, and that's my perception, you know, where I'm like, oh, I, I, it's not as bro-y as I, you know, I feel like I guess maybe I'm bro-y enough that I can engage in these circles too. But, you know, there, there's no doubt that tech companies need to improve. Um, and where do you think that tech companies should improve? You know, I mean, I, there's this perception, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, based on the interactions that you've had with tech companies in Utah, where do you think we could use the most work? I guess I would offer um, a couple observations. You know, for a long time, I mean, you probably recall this, anyone in, in our tech community, I, I really think our tech communities thought they were leading in DE&I. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that did a couple of things, which made them feel like, oh, I get it, right? I'm there. And, and 
but it, but a lot of the work was very external, right? Mm -hmm. It was outside of their organizations in the community or in, you know, whatever, you know, uh, you know, magazine art outlet or news, newspaper outlet or whatever. Right. Um, and I, I think we missed this opportunity, uh, but it's not too late, obviously. We missed an opportunity to actually really take that work internal. And um, both you and I know uh, that folks ask us all the time what, what the culture is like at, at companies, mm -hmm. right? Um, just like anyone would, right? Because they care about their career and they wanna go to a place where they're gonna thrive and not have to uh, really struggle to be able to thrive. And so, um, you know, people are still asking those questions. And if people don't think they are, I mean, maybe talk to a few people <laughs> because yeah. um, culture is still very much um, cared about, right? Asked about and, ex and the expectation has gotten even higher for mm -hmm. leaders to really be intentional about culture, internal culture, right? Yeah. Not just what, what we put out there um, uh, in job postings, whatever, but it has to align and they want it to align. So um, I do think that, you know, tech has felt like they have led for a long time, but I think there's still a long ways to go. And I think just not being complacent, not feeling like, oh, we've done enough. I mean, you know, gosh, I, I guess I could say that I, I've done enough. I'll just retire now, but, right. <laughs> but I care, right? <laughs> right. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not I'm not going to retire, but, <laughs> but for those who have been in this work for a long time, it really is exhausting. It is a lot of, you know, and for, for a lot of my nonprofit work, it, I wasn't getting paid for it. Right. And so, um, yeah, we've all been putting in a lot of work. That's just kind of what it takes to build a really thriving ecosystem. And so I hope people will stay committed and continue to, to do the work. I'll give you one example of virtue signaling that came to mind when you asked me, um, this and I think it's really important, especially because so many people are coming from out of state. They're coming into Utah, yeah. And so I hope people really become aware of of, of this thing that happens all the time. It's probably to you too, Sunny. Um, people because they know I care about diversity, equity, inclusion. They'll say, "Oh, you know, where I came from was so diverse. Like it was so like so much better than Utah." And like you know, they're just dissing mm -hmm. on Utah. Yeah. And, and they think like, oh, I, I'm just going to love them because they're dissing on Utah and it's lack of diversity. And, and then I'll watch them after a while, right? One, two, three years. And they will have not really done anything to contribute to the ecosystem, or the, the community, or really, you know, build those friendships. And I think what, mm -hmm. what they miss, and this is, I think, a version of virtue signaling that I think is really important as we continue to diversify with folks who move into the state those states were diverse without them trying. They didn't have right. to do anything, right, right? Right. So they, you know, you end up in Silicon Valley or San Francisco, anywhere, and gosh, you're just surrounded by diversity, you know, East Coast, DC, Boston, New York, anywhere. You didn't do anything to contribute to that, right? right. And so when you come to Utah and you're talking to diversity leaders, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, dissing on Utah, it's kind of not cool unless you're putting in the effort here in the mm. state of Utah, right? Mm. Unless you've actually gone out, you know, built those relationships. Like people don't realize in Utah, there's a muscle that you have to build here that you don't have to build in those 
those right. states. So just because you lived in a diverse community outside of Utah does not mean you have that muscle. Right. And I think it's really easy to say that when you didn't do anything to contribute to that diversity. So again, it's, it's you know, walking the walk, right? Mm-hmm. In Utah is different than, than what it might've been in another place here you will need to contribute. You will need to build relationships, right? When I see people that that brag about, you know, coming out of Utah, but their whole executive team is white male, I'm like, well, what were you doing? Clearly not making friends with, right. you know, network with anyone yeah. around you, you know, that we're literally like your next door cubicle partner or whatever. Yeah, um, right. And so, you know, that that's kind of the lack of awareness, I think, that we're talking about is, is be more aware of what do you mean when you say you care about diversity, equity, inclusion, and are you really going to come in and be a contributor to our ecosystem and, and help us grow? Are you just going to sit comfortably, you know, in your executive office and just criticize everybody that's been here? Yeah. Yeah. Because just because you happen to have worked in a different community doesn't mean that you, uh, that, that you know exactly how to, to create that culture within uh-huh. your own organization here in Utah, where it will be more challenging. It will be, you, you will be expected to influence the mindsets of the other leaders in mm-hmm. your organization, right? Right, right, and right. And a lot of people don't know how to do that because it just, you know, they, they weren't expected to be the leaders in that space. But here, you need to learn how to lead in that space. So that can be challenging, I think, for some folks. And so that awareness yeah. doesn't matter if you're men or women. I hear this from both men and women. So it's not it's not a man issue. It's uh, it's a um, let me come in and learn how I can contribute value to this Utah ec- ec- ecosystem that I am part of, right? Right. And that may require a learning curve or a relationship building curve for you. Yeah, I, I, you know, you say that and I kind of reflect back on the number of times I've heard, oh, it's not diverse here. So I guess, I guess there's nothing I can do, um, you know, and, um, you know, I certainly in our friend network, we have very diverse friends, you know, and we have, there, there are some amazing people in this community. And anytime, you know, we can get together and share those contacts, you know, people, some people will be like, I didn't know that there was you know, all these black people here and all, you know, they, they are there, but if you don't engage or, you know, look to seek those relationships or uh, be parts of organization, because we've got the Utah Black Chamber, we have Women in Tech Council, we have all these organizations, you know, Equality Utah that are trying to do this work and uh, bringing communities together. But if you don't participate, mm-hmm. you're going to be in that silo of your own little bubble, you know, and it yeah. does yeah, you, you definitely have to put some work, a little bit more work in Utah um, and, and exercise that muscle. So, um, and I'll just say this, if you have any questions from the audience, go ahead and put those in the chat. We'll leave a few uh, minutes for that. But um, tell me, you know, are there books or resources? Like if someone is wanting to look at, you know, how do I explore this or get a better understanding of what virtue signaling is or DE&I, you know, are there any recommendations that you have? Oh gosh, maybe I need to write a book, but <laughs> yes, you should write, you should definitely have, write a book. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I actually did write an ebook and uh, it, it's a free download on my website and it's called um, Inclusive Leadership and the Authenticity Gap. And it's 
you know, it's really, you know, that, that might feel like oh, authenticity gap, you know, that make me feel defensive, uh -huh. but what, what it's really intended to illustrate is, you know, it's, it's, I mean, virtue signaling, right, which is, there's a lot of people with good intent, but the behaviors within the organization aren't really aligning, and so there's this perception gap, I might think that I'm doing amazing but unless I'm willing to really learn and get feedback or have trusted sources of feedback, there's probably lots of things that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really that alignment and there's ways to, 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 to decrease that. Right. right. Um, but the leaders have to be willing to, to learn it and, and want to, to decrease that gap between really, really I'm talking about the, the gap between leaders and employees. And then also another gap that's really important is the head of diversity and executives, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, um, I mean, if, if you kind of think about it, the, the number of heads of diversity has gone up dramatically, obviously, since uh, the pandemic yeah. and the murder of George Floyd, but it's um, it's been quite reactive. And that's concerning on a few different levels. Um, it, you know, under this topic of virtue signal, signaling, which is a company wants to show that they are, you know, addressing and they that they are caring about everything that's happening, right? But we would never in any other business critical function put people who just based on their identity in certain roles, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think anyone's asking yeah. to just put someone in a role, um, you know, without the business background or the know-how. And so, um, I think it's absolutely fine to put somebody with potential in a role, but you mm -hmm. have to give them the resources and then also the leadership support and alignment for them yeah. to be able to succeed in their role. The head of diversity role is one of the highest turnover roles. And there's many reasons for that. It's not for mm -hmm. lack of qualification. It's uh, because oftentimes the executives don't understand how that, how that, don't understand how to set that person up for success to make maximum business impact mm -hmm. because the leaders don't see it as a true business strategy. So right. there's not really any other role you would start to see that type of hiring and, yeah. and lack of support happen, right? So you hire yeah. a product manager, they need to go and learn how to be a product manager. Of course, you're going to support that, right? right? It's really no different than a DEI professional who might also need external consultants to come in, right? And, you know, external resources. But oftentimes the executive team is like, well, we just, you know, invested, you know, let's, let's just say 150,000 FTE dollars. That's commitment for that right. role. Uh-huh. Right. And that, and that's all they have to work with. Yeah. Well, that's that person's salary, but there's nothing, there's nothing else. So, so this is, you know, I think uh, just an important time for people to kind of um, think about how do we better support our heads of diversity, right? And help them succeed so that we don't, you know, exhaust them in that function because they, they can't be expected to do, the, a single person can never change a whole culture. That's just, yeah. you know, I've learned that plenty of times. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. But, you know, partner with that person, right? Just like you would business partner with any other uh, critical individual contributor in an organization and treat it like a true business strategy and a true business role. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And so, how, you know, one of the questions is, you know, how would, 
how do you measure success? How do you know you've made progress? Mm -hmm. What, you know, it's easy with uh, maybe like sales or, you know, customer support or, you know, engineering, you know, to kind of measure, have these metrics, you know, to know that you're moving in the right direction. How do you do that for DEI, especially if you're not hiring or, you know, looking at actual numbers? Yeah. Well, I think this is what's exciting is when when you actually have a leadership team that that understands how to support a, a head of DEI, they can actually be the ones to compile metrics, right? It can, it, you know, innovation can be driven from DEI, um, engagement studies, you know, productivity, um, mm. revenue. It can actually all be still tied to DEI, but oftentimes those folks are so busy, like you know, in this more compliance event function, if that makes sense, yep. to truly like bring it into that strategic layer where you actually would have it very data-driven, right? Um, and, and the metrics can also be, they don't always have to be these, you know, uh, I think business metrics, they can also be really embedded into performance management and leadership development as well. Mm. And so, uh, you know, you can get very creative on, you know, what it is that you're measuring, but it's really, really, I think mostly critical to really be listening carefully to the employees and to our customers and, and what folks are saying rather than to eat, we so easily dismiss it. Right. Um, Right. So when you're combining, you know, let's say quantifiable metrics with also um, those feedback loops within your organization Mm -hmm. to really, you know, know if, are, are things getting better? Are they improving um, right. morale? All of those things that we're so you know um, cr- uh, careful of right now, as well as retention. Right. Um, and I think there's this reality too, and I just want to be real that there's some things that we can't control. Um, and so I don't want to say that, gosh, if you have super low retention, that's all your fault executives, right? right. Um, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of, um, gosh, everything seems to be changing on a monthly basis. Um, but anything that we is within our control, I think definitely trying our best to measure, measure and manage to it. Yeah. And I think that, I think maybe sometimes going back to when you say, well, we dedicated uh, you know, a full-time person to this. So that's progress in itself. And yeah, that is a form of progress, but you know, what is that person going to accomplish? And, and, you know, I've certainly met um, many leaders who have done this work where, yeah, you're right. It's exhausting, you know, and I would, would not say that I'm a, an expert in this as well, but, you know, sometimes people look to me like, like I am, because, uh, you know, I'm a person of color and so, and I'm a woman, so I would naturally know how to fix these problems. But, you know, it's, it, they're complex problems and they're complex solutions, you know, to make this happen. And mm-hmm. so I think really relying on expertise that, um, you know, people who have been trained in it is, is key for it as well. Um, so anything else you want to talk about or things that like words of advice or, or you know, uh, things that you would recommend that people think about? Well, I, I guess, you know, your last point was really important. I think that's one of the big shifts is that DE and I can be a true business strategy. I think a lot of times people thought it was more of like the feel good work within the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't ever really undertaken anything just to feel good. I'm a strategist at heart. And so I think what's exciting is when leaders 
really see it as a true business strategy. It um, takes on a very different flavor and mm -hmm. the employees can really sense it and feel it, right? Um, it, it doesn't mean that you... It, it doesn't mean that you go away from anything emotional, right? So, so I want to be really clear about that. That one of the reasons why diversity, equity, inclusion strategy is the hardest is, is because it's both intellectual and emotional. And there's so many jobs out there that are just mm -hmm. intellectual, right? You don't have to like invest a lot of your emotion into it. Um, right. I, I would say patent law is maybe one of those areas which I did for <laughs> ten years. Um, and so, but but I wasn't pouring a lot of personal emotion into my actual day-to-day -day work, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can literally have an entire career without this expectation that you're having to really think about and manage to, you know, emotions of defensiveness, fear, anxiety, all of these things that kind of mm. come with helping people transition an organization through cultural shifts and change, right? Right. So that's why it's one of the hardest areas is because you're dealing with more than just, you know, an intellectual uh, type of exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and most people have sort of kept it at an emotional exercise. Oh, I just want my employees to feel good. So now when you combine those two together, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's a very complex strategy. Um, and so that's, you know, it's worth understanding. It's worth paying for that expertise that understands it. Um, and how does it integrate in a, in a business operation executive level? Not all DEI consultants can do that. So I just, I guess I would be cautious uh, of just, you know, just because somebody says they're a DEI consultant, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, it, it is, you know, really a combination of the, the life experiences, the business acumen, right? The strategic acumen. And what is it that that helps them and, and enables them to do this work. Um, so I think that's, I think, a good education for executives to understand yeah. is how do I really place the right person, whether it's consultant or, you know, head of DEI in, in, in my organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's super um, valuable because I, I, I think that you're right. It's, it does, it's, it's emotional work, but yeah, if you, it has to be a combination of both if you really want to achieve success in integrating, you know, these strategies into your company and having that intellectual and emotional side. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Um, I am so grateful for your friendship and I learned so much from you and I, I was really thrilled that you would do this. Uh, with us today and, and share with the rest of the community. Um, we'll, we're recording this, so we'll share it out. And thanks again to Entrada for, for sponsoring this, this really important conversation. And, and, and I have to say, I'm so glad you're in our community, Sarah. I know how much you care about Utah. I know how much you care about tech and all the work that you've done for decades to make it better. Um, we're really starting to see the fruits of your labor come out and, you know, we're better for it. Oh, thank you. That's so kind. Thank you for your work. I, I, I don't know of any other PAC that has integrated DEI as one of its core pillars and really influencing, you know, who, you know, who, which, you know, political candidates are being supported. Are there any other PACs doing that or is Utah Tech uh, one of the only You ones? know, I'm not sure. I, I just know that it came back as a really important value for tech communities, which I, for the tech companies here. And so, you know, we want, awesome. we want to respect that. And, and, you know, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but I love that we're able to lead out on this and, and have you, you know, share your wealth of knowledge with the community. Well, thanks for having me. 
Happy to support. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, okay thanks, you everybody. Later. Bye.